0: On today's episode of Distortion Dads, we introduce a new episode category called Metal Rewind. Metal has been around for decades now, ever evolving from its roots into the multifaceted behemoth that it is today.
1: Nowadays, anyone can find a metal subgenre that interests them through variations in vocal stylings, lyrical content, distortion tones, accompanying instruments, tempos, and more.
0: Has metal always offered something for everyone though? We take a look back at a single year in metal's history, this time focusing on 1982.
1: We start by dipping into the nostalgia of the time period and then move to the music, looking to prove that metal has always offered something for everyone, even in 1982.
0: Find out how on today's episode of Distortion Dads. I'm Greg. And I'm Matt. And you're listening to the Distortion Dads.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Distortion Dads. Woo! Woo! We're dads who think metal has something for everyone. We showcase this with three types of episodes: subgenre deep dives, themed playlist episodes, and storyline episodes. Every episode has a playlist of songs that can be found on the
0: Distortion Dads Spotify page. We also have an Instagram account at Distortion Dads. There, you can find all the links for all of the episodes and playlists. Spotify episodes will have songs to go along with the episode and include full length songs for subscribers. Before we get into today's episode, we have a couple of metal themed dad jokes to brighten your day. Metal dad jokes. So my best friend decided to play the tuba in high school. Okay, what does that have to do with metal? He was just really into heavy metal.
1: (laughs) Hey Greg, Hmm. you like coffee, right? Of course. What do metalheads put in their coffee? Um,
0: I don't know. The (laughs) sugar. sugar.
1: All right, there you have it, our two jokes. And now on to today's episode. As you heard in the hook, today is a new episode category, and we're calling this Metal Rewind. Metal Rewind. So we'll go over a description of of, uh, the Metal Rewind category, kind of why this came about,
0: and what we hope to prove with this episode category. As we've been doing this podcast, I work with a lot of people who uh, listen to our podcast, and I'm always asking them, you know, hey, give me some feedback. Uh, What kind of episodes are you guys interested in? What kind of themes are you guys interested in? And the one that comes out the most is typically we want to know about the history now we do a little bit of this in our subgenre deep dives uh i have a mm-hmm. little history portion there but we figured what's the best way to go about telling about the history of metal without sounding like every other podcast that's out there right yeah so we decided let's break it down into a certain year let's just look at a certain year and see what what was available, what uh, the music sc- or the heavy metal scene was like. Um, and we decided to turn it into an episode.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, do a little bit more of a deep dive into uh, a single year. A little bit more, of course, uh, uh, when we focus on metal, about the albums that were released that year <clears throat> and how the variety of sounds offered something for everyone, really. Mm-hmm. And to go along with that not to just focus on the metal, we uh are including some of the nostalgic topics as well,
0: right? Yep. So we're going to talk about popular culture, what was going on in, you know, movies, video games, sports, that sort of thing. Uh we're also going to talk about non-metal music, the blasphemy um <laughs> just briefly. Just briefly, right? <laughs> and we're also going to talk about the, you know, the the best of the year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what were some of the most popular items or shows or songs or what have you from that year? Or really just a, a, a metal time capsule a little bit, if you will, um, going back and again, trying to show that metal has always offered something for everyone, kind of the theme that we're going for across all of our episode types. right? <clears throat> and 1982, why are we starting with 1982? Well that's the year we were born so why not start with that year it gave us a good scapegoat to start off our metal rewind episodes with the year that we were born what was going on in the metal scene what was going on in, in the in the world in general 1982 but focusing yeah. on uh, on metal albums and then
0: exploring a little bit more deeply the different types of metal
1: sounds that we we hear from the releases of that year
0: and i think with 1982 it was nice for us because we we were while we were alive in 1982 we don't remember anything from it so this was more of a learning experience for us as it will be for you and also with 1982 uh you kind of like metal was in its infancy really Mm -hmm. you had to look at it you know it was less like less than a decade old. And as far as the term being used and, you know, it was pretty nice going back and seeing what it has to offer everyone. And also like what was available back then, uh, could you find these things because back then they didn't have the internet. So
1: yeah, that's true. Everything kind of was lumped into heavy metal, right? Right. Hard rock or heavy metal, hard rock, heavy metal, but you really saw the, the sound when you d- when we dug into it and we are going to show you, we're gonna prove to you that 1982 had something to offer for almost every subgenre fan of metal back then. Uh, by, by looking a little bit more at the subtle differences in sounds,
0: we'll get de- uh, we'll delve into this a little bit uh, more later. but uh, when it comes to the subgenres and things like that, Like we said, everything was either hard rock or heavy metal. There was no power metal, thrash metal, things like that. But Matt and I listened to a bunch of songs and we're like, well, this actually could have fit in this and that sort of thing. So why don't we get into 1982, Matt? Let's do it. Nostalgia.
1: Starting with a little bit of nostalgia, (laughs) popular culture. Let's start with movies. Uh, Most people like movies or big fans of movies. And this was a big year for movies. Um, We actually went through and and looked at popular movies from from every month, but uh, we won't list out all of them. But there are some really big, big movies here. We start with, we'll say in February, Swamp Thing director Wes Craven. <laughs> nice. We also had uh, Conan the Barbarian. We had Rocky Three.
0: We had Annie. All of those released in May of 1982. And in June, we had Blade Runner featuring Harrison Ford, E.T., everybody's favorite alien, and Poltergeist. In August, we had... Fast Times at Ridgemont High, nice. Sean Penn's first out, uh, first movie, Friday the 13th, was Coming of Age in uh, Part 3. Mm-hmm. In October, we had Rambo, First Blood, Sylvester <laughs> Stallone. Nice. Uh, we also had The Thing with Kurt Russell, one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Nice. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. November, we had Gandhi that went on to win uh, a lot of Academy Awards. And in December, we had a sequel to Airplane, which I did not know existed. That's a good one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The Airplane series are real real funny. So a lot of good movies in 1982. Um, When we talk about TV shows, just a few facts here. The first episode of Late Night with David Letterman debuted on NBC with Bill Murray being the first guest.
0: You can't go wrong with having Bill Murray as your first guest. I mean,
1: honestly, <laughs> I'm sure it was a hit. I'm sh- That's one of the reasons that people kept tuning in, I'm sure was
0: was uh from the success of that episode, right? Uh in on May 2nd, we also had the premiere of the Weather Channel. I didn't realize it was that old. I honestly thought it came out in the 90s, but uh I never had cable, so I guess I never really thought about it. <laughs> Yeah, so
1: you could find uh, the weather anytime, anytime if you had access to the Weather Channel.
0: And then Cheers debuted that year in September. Such a great TV show. Now, a couple of sports feats that happened in 1982. On January 24th, Super Bowl XVI, 40, the 49ers defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 26-21, to 21, which was... Which, if you remember, in the NFC Championship game of the same year, San Francisco defeated Dallas with the catch from Joe Montana to uh, tight end Dwight Clark. Dwight Clark, thank you. The catch, <laughs> the catch. In March, you had the the essentially the emergence of Michael Jordan in uh, the men's NCAA basketball championship game, North Carolina defeating Georgetown which that Georgetown team had Patrick Ewing so it was pretty it was a pretty stacked final uh, but the final score was 63 to 62
1: nice yeah in may for you baseball fans you had calrick and junior playing in the first game of the streak wow A streak of 2632 games that he would then play starting in may 1982
0: that's just amazing
1: yeah Soccer fans, the World Cup, FIFA World Cup began that year in Spain. was eventually won by Italy. And also in June, the NBA Finals, the Lakers defeated the 76ers four games to two.
0: Nice. So for you baseball fans, in October, the World Series was between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Milwaukee Brewers, which was won by St. Louis four games to three.
1: November, we have a memory that... It is fun for all of us college football fans. Mm-hmm.
0: Was the play
1: between Cal and Stanford a kickoff was returned for a touchdown
0: with the band on the field? <laughs> that is one of the craziest plays in in college football history. <laughs> just watching the replay, you're like, "What is happening here?" Like the ball just got kicked off. So yeah, and also in college football history, uh, Herschel Walker won the Heisman Trophy.
1: Nice. Running back from Georgia, then went on to play for the Dallas Cowboys, of course. Great running back. Some really fun sports memories there for 1982. Let's move on to some technology
0: and pop culture. So in Jan- as far as technology goes, uh, computers were a newer thing in January. The first computer virus, called the Elk Cloner, written by a 15-year-old, Is found and it infects uh, Apple II computers via floppy disk. Like (laughs) when you can stop that real easy just by don't put the floppy disk in your computer. (laughs) Yeah, right. Interesting.
1: We also had the first compact discs manufactured. It was actually invented years prior, but in August, the first CD was manufactured in 1982. That would and, change that would change music forever. absolutely. And then of course you, you can't play CDs without a, a CD player. in <laughs> October of that same year, 1982, Sony launched the first CD player CDP -101 was the model name. I, I'm curious as to how much that
0: cost. Yeah, right how <laughs> big <think> it was <laughs> right <laughs> And in December, Time magazine, it's Man of the Year was the computer in 1982. Yeah. In my family, we didn't have a computer until 1995. So go figure. Okay.
1: Yeah. It certainly changed the world.
0: That's for sure. All right. So we've talked about pop culture. We've talked about technology, sports, movies. What was happening in in, in the world of music? That's not metal. Okay. Yeah. Uh, We're going to talk about a few uh, albums that were released in 1982, at least some of the bigger ones. Uh, In January, you had Huey Lewis and the News, Picture This, released. Uh, It had the single, Do You Believe in Love? I'm a huge Huey Lewis and the News fan. And in February, one of my mom's favorite bands released an album, Alabama, released Mountain Music. Mm -hmm. Such a classic.
1: Yep. In March, Asia released Asia. That album had the song Heat of the Moment, probably their biggest hit. Mm. <clears throat> then in uh, April, Van Halen did release Diver Down, which had the song Oh, Pretty Woman on it. But maybe more popular was the album Toto 4, released by Toto. That had both the smash hits Africa and Rosanna
0: on it. Nice. In May, you had Queen release Hot Space, which had the great single Under Pressure with David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Also in June, you had Survivor release Eye of the Tiger, which the single Eye of the Tiger was part of Rocky Three. Yeah, great, great song.
1: July, we had View from the Ground released by America. That had the song You Can Do Magic on it. Another big single from that. And in August, Michael McDonald released If That's What It Takes. And that had the hit I Keep Forgetting
0: on it. In September, we had Rush releasing Signals, which had the song Subdivisions on it. And in October, Prince released the album 1999, which had a couple of smash hits on it. 1999 and Little Red Corvette.
1: November found Michael Jackson releasing Thriller. Nice. And this became the best-selling album ever, with hits as, of course, Thriller being on that, but also Billie Jean and Beat It. Nobody's ever going to catch that album sales. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's a global monster. Right. And then finally, in December of 1982, Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band released The Distance with the song Roll Me Away on it. So there you go. Some popular non-metal music releases from the year, and hopefully that got the nostalgia going and you remember some of those big tunes big hits from there the last part of this we'd like to highlight some of the best
0: of 1982 1982 gave us a lot of great things but what were the what were the best selling what were the the most sought after well i'll tell you what in 1982 the most sought after toy was the glow worm oh my family room (laughs) <laughs> right? Yes, absolutely. My family had one that they passed from my sister to my brother to me. It was, it was amazing. Nice. The best car of 1982, the Ford Escort. My family <laughs> also
1: had one of those. I believe so it was a hatchback
0: style. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the best rated TV shows now – I don't know if they still do Nielsen ratings anymore, but uh, back in the 80s, 90s, at least, the way to find out whether a TV show was popular or not was to go by its Nielsen rating. Mm -hmm. And what that did was that judged who's watching this or how many people are watching this. And the top four TV shows in 1982 were 60 Minutes, which... When you only have three channels, you kind of watch what's on, and 60 Minutes was seemed like it was always on. They had a Nielsen rating of 25.5. The show Dallas, which had a Nielsen rating of 24.6. The war comedy slash drama MASH, which had a Nielsen rating of 22.6. And Magnum P.I. also had a Nielsen rating of 22.6.
1: I can't say I ever really got into any of that shows. I I remember watching Magnum PI a little bit, Um, not necessarily MASH, not Dallas, but uh, of course, sixty Minutes is still on.
0: Right, and you know, as far as my family would always watch Magnum PI, we'd watch Mm -hmm. MASH. Uh, My mom was a huge MASH fan, and uh, Dallas was a little too was a little too old for me, even when I did start (laughs) like was able to start watching it. I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah couple award shows from 1982, actually, of course, they aired in in 1983, going over the best of 1982, but the Academy, Academy Awards Best Picture went to Gandhi, and actually received multiple, several wins for 1982. For the Grammy Awards, we had the Album of the Year was Toto 4 by Toto. Nice choice. Our Best New Artist was Men at Work. Come from a line down under. Yep, <laughs> and then the best rock performance by a duo or a group with vocal was
0: won by Survivor for "Eye of the Tiger." One last thing we wanted to do to kind of cap off this little section here was kind of go over just a, a few of the of the hit singles that were released that year. Now we had mentioned a few when we were talking about the albums, but there were a bunch that weren't weren't mentioned. So if you were alive in 1982 and you were cognizant of what was on the radio you were listening to physical by olivia newton john from Grease <laughs> fame also eye of the tiger by survivor which was already mentioned the arrows cover by joan jett and the black hearts i love rock and roll and the duet between paul mccartney and stevie wonder ebony and ivory mm-hmm. number five on the hot 100 was
1: centerfold by the jay giles band Number six, Don't You Want Me by The Human League. And number seven and eight were both by John Cougar. <laughs> we weren't by John Cougar at the time. We maybe more know him as just John Mellencamp. But number seven was Jack and Diane. And number eight, Hurt So Good.
0: Nice. Number nine was Abracadabra by Steve Miller Band. And number 10 was Hard to Say I'm Sorry by Chicago.
1: Hmm, nice good top 10 there for the hot 100 of 1982 so let's get into some metal the metal scene i'm i'm feeling very nostalgic now <laughs> the things that i i I recognize and maybe remember about 1982, or still listen to on the radio, or see reruns on MeTV. Yep. Let's let's get into some metal. What what was going on in the metal scene at this time in 1982? Right. So for this, we what was kind of fun is we went back and found some fanzines. Yeah. Early metal fanzines had started then, and was really the the primary source of information for metalhead back then to to get on these mailing lists of these fanzines and learn what was going on with your favorite band
0: it kind of became the internet for the metal world really and uh, some of these fanzines while they weren't super popular they were popular in the underground Thankfully it had mailing lists that you could mail in, get new copies, or you had like pen pal systems and you could write to each other. That's kind of how uh Metallica's James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich met each other because they there was a pen pal article in one of these fanzines. There's your uh trivia fact for the day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so nineteen eighty two some some events that were happening. So, in January, we have the story of Ozzy biting the head off of a bat. Oh, what? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, someone threw a a bat on stage. They brought it to the show, which just happened to be in Des Moines, Iowa. And apparently, Ozzy thought it was a fake bat and decided to show the crowd um, that he was going to bite the head off, but it was actually a real bat. So, yep, that happened January. (laughs) Of 1982,
0: way to kick off the year. Just so everybody knows, it was it was a dead bat, let's be honest here. Yes. Um, yes. It, but still, the fact that Ozzy was under the influence that much that he thought it was a good idea to bite the head off a bat, dead or alive, is just amazing. But he is the Prince of Darkness, after all. <laughs> yep. And speaking of Ozzy and his band, in March of 1982... Randy Rhodes, the phenomenal guitar player, passed away due to a plane crash.
1: Yeah, the uh, first, the first issue of Heavy Metal Times, issue number one, had a small little thing on Randy Rhodes in memory. <clears throat> it says the rock world lost one of its fine musicians, Randy Rhodes, the, on the eighteenth of March, nineteen eighty-two, due to a, due to a plane crash. In Leesburg, Florida, the Ozzy Osbourne Group had been scheduled to perform at a concert in Orlando Saturday the 20th, but the tour was postponed until a replacement could be found. To the memory of guitarist Randy Rhodes, this issue is dedicated. And that was the first issue of Heavy Metal Times,
0: Fanzine. So in June, outside of Fanzines and other hard rock slash heavy metal magazines, To find out about other bands, you either had to use word of mouth or you had to get a compilation album Mm -hmm. and uh, compilation albums would go on for many, many years. That's how Matt and I got into a lot of the bands that we got into. But back in 1982, Metal Massacre volume one and two were released. Uh, This was the start of a series of compilation albums released through Metal Blade Records and it also included the very first recording of "Hit the Lights" by Metallica, and Rat of All Bands was also a part of it.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, at the list now. <clears throat> An older band called Avatar, apparently, <laughs> not the same one, <laughs> right? <laughs> Some other bands: Steeler, Malice, uh, Sirith Ongle, Pandemonium, and Malice on the first pressing. So yeah, really, really cool to see this 1982 Metal Masker compilation album come out through the founder of, of Metal Blade Records by Brian Slagle. Right. So other things happening on tours. Which bands were on tour in 1982? One of the most popular ones. Uh, in 1982, as you'll as you'll hear, there was several releases by bands part of the what we classify now as the new wave of British heavy metal, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you had the world of vengeance tour featuring both Judas priest and support from iron maiden. I I can only imagine those that got to go and, and see that tour. That must've been amazing. Honestly,
0: that would, that would have been incredible to go see Judas priest and iron maiden at their, at their, not necessarily their peak, but in their, uh, their early days. And, you know when they were so young and so energetic and things like that. You and I got to see Iron Maiden, a few of those other bands later on in life, but mm-hmm. um, it would have been really cool to see that pairing back then. Absolutely. the The next metal tour would have been Motorhead's Iron Fist tour. You know, anytime, whenever you talk to a metalhead, whether you know from the past in the present anytime you mention motorhead to them they're always going to be super happy and be like yeah let me and uh i mean i i really wish in my life i would have been able to see motorhead live that would have been a cool show yeah
1: another popular one ozzy Osbourne was touring this was a part of the north american leg of his diary of a madman tour this album coming out uh, late 1981 actually
0: but touring a lot of 1982. And I think he only bit the head off of a bat in one of those shows. <laughs> <laughs> he learned his lesson, maybe. Right. Uh, another another big uh, tour that was going on then was Black Sabbath's Mob Rules Tour. Now, this was Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio, uh, mm. which in it is huge in its own right. This ran from November of 81 to August of 82 and if you look into the history of this uh, of this tour, you'll find out that this was actually the last tour with Ronnie James Dio before he left to go form his own band, Dio
1: Oh, okay Huh Speaking of bands formed, do we have any recollection of some metal bands that would have formed in 1982? Were there any? Yeah,
0: I, I can see at least a few here Let's just run down the list I mean, you had Armored Saint Which featured uh, John Bush Who would go on to be with uh, Anthrax You also had the beginning of Cinderella The hair glam metal band Corrosion of Conformity first started They wound up becoming a crossover thrash band And speaking of thrash You also had Death Angel and Destruction Form
1: Mm -hmm. As we just mentioned Later in 1982, Ronnie James Dio left Black Sabbath to form Dio. We'll call them Heavy Metal. We had the Dirty Rotten Imbeciles, another crossover thrash band. Fate's Warning, we'll call them Progressive Metal. And a band called Godflesh,
0: uh, one of the early industrial metal bands. We also had Hellhammer, which was a proto-black metal, if you remember from the black metal episode. Uh, Hellhammer was mentioned as a as an influence on the black metal scene. Uh, they also became Celtic Frost. There were also two other thrash bands that came out around the same time. You had Creator and kind of progressive thrash with Voivod. Uh, mm. They're a very weird band.
1: <laughs> Last two we wanted to mention was the power metal group Warlock and also the hair glam metal band Wasp.
0: Nice. So we had uh, quite a few metal bands formed in
1: 1982.
0: Right. And we also had a bunch of metal bands that were releasing albums in 1982. Yes, we did. And who knows? A lot of these
1: uh, bands that were formed were probably influenced by these albums that were released in 1982. So we we scoured the web, we scoured the streaming services for all the albums released in 1982 and tried to come up with a a list of ones that we considered to be metal. Right. The albums.
0: So we just talked about a bunch of bands that had just formed. What about the bands that were putting out albums? Well, We made a list of said bands. We put them into the subgenres that we felt that they were a part of. And we're going to kind of go over those bands and tell you who we found. So in January, Aldo Nova put out his debut album, Aldo Nova. The Hunt put out the album, Thrill of the Kill. And in February, UFO put out Mechanics.
1: In March, the Scorpions released Blackout, Except put out Restless and Wild. Crocus put out One Vice at a Time. Iron Maiden put out The Number of the Beast. Diamondhead released Borrowed Time. Tank released Filth Hounds of Hades. And Magnum
0: released Chase the Dragon. In April, Motorhead put out Iron Fist. Anvil put out Metal on Metal. In May, Riot put out the album restless breed in june girl school put out screaming blue murder and also in june raven put out wiped out loudness put out devil
1: soldier uriah Heap released abominog judas priest released screaming for vengeance demon released the unexpected ghost in august ynt released black tiger Man of War put out Battle Hymns, their debut album. Tigers of Pantang released
0: The Cage. In September, Twisted Sister released their debut album Under the Blade. In October, Stronghold released Fortress Rock. Gary Moore released Corridors of Power. Michael Shanker Group released Assault Attack. And Witchfinder General released Death Penalty
1: rounding out the end of the year in November, Venom released Black Metal, Resurrection Band released DMZ, Whitesnake released Saints and Sinners, and Baron Rojo released Volumen Brutal. And lastly in December, the band Voodoo Church released Voodoo Church. So there you have it, 30-plus albums from 1982, all of them we consider to be metal in some form or another. And now we wanted to show that, yes, they are uh, either, we'll say, heavier hard rock or heavy metal uh, when we think about 1982 or when a lot of people think about 1982 and the, and the metal that was offered at the time. But we want to show that actually these albums uh, had something to offer every type of, of metal subgenre fan.
0: So, what we did was we decided to take the band, the list of bands that we had, and we decided let's break them up into different subgenres or perceived subgenres. And we came up with 10 different subgenres that these bands would fit into. And I'm just going to quickly go over those subgenres hard rock and heavy metal, pop alternative metal, Christian metal, hair metal, power metal, heavy metal, new wave of British heavy metal. Progressive metal, speed and thrash metal, and extreme metal. Mm-hmm. Now, what we decided to do was we took all those subgenres and we're like, all right, let's put them in an order. So Matt and I both picked a song to that exemplifies these subgenres, and we put them into an order from most accessible to least accessible, at least in our opinions.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll start with a a small simple description of the subgenre, just to introduce it, and especially some of the main themes that we thought are represented by the the two songs that we choose from a, a given album that release was released in nineteen eighty two. So we'll start with hard rock or heavy rock, and a lot of these descriptions we just took simply from from Wikipedia. We'll say hard rock or heavy rock is a loosely defined subgenre of rock music typified by aggressive vocals and distorted electric guitars. It built on the garage,
0: psychedelic, and blues rock movements. So the first band that we feel exemplifies this hard rock slash heavy rock uh, subgenre is UFO, Mm -hmm. when you listen to the band, they do have a nice heavy heaviness to them, but they're not as heavy or as technical as some of the other bands. There's something you would definitely find on rock radio at the time. So the song that we, we chose was called the writer prior to this episode. I had never heard of UFO Um, (laughs) and a little tidbit about this band. Uh, They used to have a a guitarist who's prevalent in the metal world. His name is Michael Shanker. Uh, You're actually going to hear this name later on in the episode. He was a part of this band for many jaunts throughout the years. Unfortunately, he wasn't there for this album, but he's still notable enough to mention. Mm -hmm. This song, the writer, refers to uh, how devious those in tabloids and news could actually be how ruthless they were. It's got great selling storytelling. And I'm going to explain this through a a little bit of lyrics that I found. I am the writer and I am the news. You cross me, you know, you're going to lose. I'll do the story. If you're dead or alive, if seconds out, or you're going to take a dive, slip out the news or a piece of scandal. Don't toe the line because nothing's too hot to handle. I am the writer and I am the news. If you cross me, you know you're going to lose. Yeah, you're going to lose. You think about all those writers in the tabloids and in the news and you're like, wow, how cutthroat they were. Like, hey, I'm going to run the story. I'm going to blackmail you, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, we thought we this was hard rock and not necessarily heavy metal. Uh, you, you have the great kind of a, a bluesy opening riff that really continues mm. throughout the song. You have keyboards supporting the the guitar. And then along with the guitar solo, you have a saxophone. So give the song a listen because there's a saxophone in a metal song, and I think it works great together. <laughs> it is a great solo. And, and uh, as Greg was mentioning, yeah, Don't Cross the Writer. That's this right. is the opening track to their album, Mechanics. So the second band that we chose to exemplify the hard rock subgenre of metal of 1982 was also a new band to me and certainly a new album and new song that we'll eventually choose. But this artist is called voodoo church. And this is a female fronted band. Tina winter is her name. And this band is also credited uh, as being some of the earliest goth rock or, or death rock actually. Mm -hmm. Influencing many of the the bands to come later on. Um, this is a it really got actually a grunge feel to me as well, especially during the guitar solo. And the song is the fourth track on this album, and it's it's about letting your dreams go and letting them
0: rest in peace. This was obviously my first introduction to Voodoo Church and. You know, just the opening bass line, the do, 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 do. I, you know, that, that drew me in later on in life. Matt and I would find some, uh, some goth bands like Typo Negative and things like that. You definitely hear, if not directly, the influence of this band on much of that goth rock era there. And, um, so I love the female vocals, it adds a certain layer to it that wasn't you know, that you normally wouldn't think of. Um, and also the guitars are much heavier than I thought they would be.
1: So there you have are two song choices for the hard rock subgenre of heavy metal or heavy rock. If you will, the song, the writer by UFO and the song rest in peace by Voodoo church.
0: So our next subgenre is what we consider pop metal. Again, we have a definition from Wikipedia. Sometimes it's confused or interchanged with hair metal slash glam metal. Pop metal is an umbrella term for commercial heavy metal and hard rock styles, which feature prominent pop music elements such as catchy hooks and anthemic choruses. Our first choice for this was the song Fantasy by Aldo Nova. So the song "Fantasy" I first heard on a local classic rock station, where they play their entire library from A to Z, and um, like this is the only I never knew who the band or the the artist was. I always knew the song as "Fantasy," and uh, Matt showed it to me, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool!" Like I started singing the lyrics, not knowing who it was, (laughs) and it was kind of funny. (laughs) Um, But "Fantasy," it's number one. It's off of Aldo Nova's. Debut album Elda Nova. Um, it's not as heavy as some of the others on this list, which it's meant to be catchy, more accessible. Yep. Um, according to AllMusic's Brett Adams, Eldonova doesn't get enough credit for helping invent the 1980s pop metal genre, which focused equally on hard-rocking anthems and soaring power ballads. Later on in the 80s or throughout the 80s, you'll have bands like Bon Jovi and Poison and Def Leppard where they have these great rockin' songs and then have these power ballads. Well, on this album for Aldo Nova, you have all of that in spades. For the song, there's a great synth line, which if you were alive during the 80s or you've listened to any 80s song, you know that synths really define the 80s mm-hmm. as far as you know uh, an instrument goes. Um, other songs on this album that you may like that are have that nice, upbeat tempo to it, Fooling Yourself, It's Too Late, Under the Gun, and Hot Love. They're nice little rockers mixed with the ballads I was telling you about and a weird disco-style track at the end, which I, I guess it's the 80s. Everybody's doing what they want, right? This album was accessible enough to be twice platinum aldo nova if you listen to his later uh career he actually becomes a little bit heavier and had actually becomes a songwriter later on in his career for the likes of celine dion yeah the song
1: fantasy to me is is a great 80s metal song honestly it has the synth that you were mentioning it's kind of got this movie style intro to me we have like some lasers too which i feel are very 80-ish yeah uh that that open almost to like full minute intro before the guitar kicks in right. And the a song basically about the pleasures of city life being a fantasy and not reality um, really nice backing kind of almost Halloween esque. I don't know. It's it's a, <laughs> a very interesting type song. It's the most popular song from Aldo Nova according to Spotify, a great solo. Yeah. It's a great, uh, great song that to me uh, exemplifies the catchiness of, of pop metal, if you he- will.
0: It's interesting to me that you mentioned the 80s movie style opening. If you watch the video for it, you'll actually see that there's some people trying to get into a building and Aldo Nova comes down in a helicopter. And right as the uh, guitar chords chime in, you know, you see him just do that in this power blast open the door and he goes into the room. And yeah, definitely super 80s. Nice.
1: All right. So the next track to exemplify pop metal in our opinion, was the Michael Schenker Group. Previously mentioned, Michael Schenker had his own band called the Michael Schenker Group, and they released this album, Assault Attack. This song is called Dancer. It's got this catchy backing riff uh, throughout the song, and especially the chorus that got me singing about this woman who's a dancer, but she's not ideally built for ballet. (laughs) <laughs> the <laughs> lyrics are interesting um you get uh I found out a little bit more about this dancer right and it is actually a song about a real person and it's about the singer who released the popular song at the time mickey hey mickey you're so fine oh, yes, nice. hey mickey tony basil basil <laughs> anyway she uh was also an accomplished dancer and choreographer at the time so this song is actually about her and her uh we'll say accomplishments before her hit song but this is another great track it's very very catchy you'll you'll be singing the you'll be singing about this dancer right and has another great guitar solo and uh as greg said michael schenker was was a part of many different groups uh, in the 80s right ufo his michael schenker group as well as the the
0: scorpions great guitarist it's uh it's interesting when you first played this song for me uh or had me listen to the song and you know you put it up for debate on whether we could use it on pop metal and i the intro it sounds like it was going to be like this long drawn out ballad, and then once the chorus comes in like it really kicks off and I, I definitely hear the the poppiness and uh, the the accessibility of the song, and it it really is a perfect example of pop metal. Um, even though I was a little skeptical at first, once they got into it, I really I was aboard the train. Those were our uh, nominees for the subgenre of pop metal. The two songs that we're going to play for you are "Fantasy" by Aldo Nova, and then. Dancer by Michael Schenker Group.
1: All right, so the next subgenre, metal subgenre, we chose uh, to showcase that uh, metal had something to offer in nineteen eighty-two may actually be a surprise to many. And, uh, this was, this was actually kind of done on purpose. Uh, most people that, uh, think of metal, you know, don't tend to think of metal being having any sort of religious aspects. Right. And that it's all evil, but, um, more popular nowadays is, is transcending, right. Different beliefs will say metal, uh, in general the the sound Mm -hmm. and we found even in 1982, right there, there were a couple releases, um, some one from a, a maybe a, a more well-known band within this particular subgenre. But when we say Christian metal, right, it doesn't necessarily refer to a specific sound. It's more of the lyrical content, of course. Right. Right. Sometimes also known as white metal. Um, this is music distinguished by its Christian themed song lyrics. Right. And then de- dedication of band members to Christianity. Right. Christian metal is typically performed by by professed Christians and often produced and distributed through various Christian networks so um, we found a couple couple bands that uh, released albums in 1982 that were Christian
0: metal right they were Christian based um, this actually came as a surprise to me like uh, I, I was never prevalent in christian music and uh things of that nature as far as metal goes there's always the popular christian metal band especially in the 80s named striper um but they hadn't formed at this point but when we found these bands like we just went through and found all these bands and realized oh wait there's some christian metal bands here um the first one we realized was a christian band was resurrection band with the song white noise Um obviously I had not heard of this band at this point. Me neither. (laughs) Um and uh so when I first heard it, you know, you the the intro had kind of like this um Van Halen's eruption feel to it. Uh may not have been as technical and as tappy as Van Halen, but still it had that that vibe to it. And then it goes into this in nice Rockin' song it, it's got a female lead singer on it wendy kaiser um who also shares uh lead vocal duties with her husband mm-hmm. um but the vocals to me sounded like a like a, a lighter version of vince neil from motley Crue. yeah uh, very nasally very shouted you know and i was like wow they almost sound better than vince neil but anyway uh <laughs> with a lot less production let's say. But White Noise is a song that deals with the strife between nations and how we as a world need to find religion and to help save us all, uh especially when it comes to the wars and things of that nature. I wanted to share some vocal or some lyrics because I felt that they were they're really good. You know, I'm a I'm a sucker for storytelling and lyrics. Some of the lyrics that I wanted to share were defective man the writings in your heart the irony of evil tearing you apart hanging in the balance you hear the savior call make him lord of everything or see the nation's fall like whether you're christian or not like that's that's good writing resurrection band especially white noise and this album are really are really good for me they're nice and heavy and they have a really good singer and a really good vocal or a really good guitarist. So I, I I'm all aboard.
1: Yeah. I mean, you said it, I, I really don't have a whole lot, much, much more to add here to me. The song was a song about current events at the time, right. Going in and the white noises causes in our lives and, and how they were able to, we'll say, remove it from, from their lives and the approach that they went for that great guitar solo. Yeah, um, definitely eruption esque intro. That had to have been done on purpose, right? And yeah. and to draw to draw either attention from <laughs> the musical elites or who knows. But um, uh, it definitely drew my attention in. This is the seventh track on on that album, DMZ. So the next band was called Stronghold and their album Fortress Rock. Released in nineteen eighty two, this was also a band that was new to me. Mm, same, and this song, also called "Stronghold," was their opening track, and it opens with a long, popular hymn written actually by Martin Luther in the early fifteen hundreds. Martin Luther being the early Protestant reformer. Hmm. Uh, this song, the the hymn is uh, "A Mighty Fortress." Is our God here? The guitar builds in with soloing to accompany the melody. It's hard to find the lyrics to this song. I tried really hard to find the lyrics, but uh, it's certainly about this figure that is a stronghold in their life the rock of ages, uh, the fortress again in, in their life. The sound to me is kind of a heavier Boston. Almost, I got a I got a real <laughs> Boston esque vibe from their guitar riffs, uh, some of the solos, and the singing and production. The production leaves a little bit to to be desired, but um,
0: overall, a really good song. As far as Stronghold goes, like I I really like the organs that come in and you know start the track, and then all of a sudden goes into this like. What you were talking about the 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 hymn "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God" and um, like I've heard this before many times, but I never knew the name of it. Mm, so mm-hmm. you know, and, but to hear it in a uh, in a song structure was really good. It's a it sounds kind of robotic and vocal wise, but <laughs> <It> does, yeah, eighties <laughs> esque, right? <laughs> but
1: it's know, like they, a uh, Steve Miller feel like you do sort of affect to the vocals there. Yeah, yeah, bit.
0: yeah good choice and you know like it it's this it's kind of almost yeah no now that you say boston like i can't get that out of my head so
1: (laughs) yeah so check it out our two picks for for christian metal in 1982 something to offer everyone and if you are religious check these out uh maybe you'll have wished that you had listened to them back then 1982 (laughs) so here you go resurrection band white noise and the song Stronghold by Stronghold.
0: Our next genre is glam metal, also known as hair metal. There's a debate on which one it's called, but we'll answer that in the next episode or <laughs> in a subsequent episode, I should say. Um but glam metal is a subgenre of heavy metal that features pop-influenced hooks and guitar riffs, upbeat rock anthems, and slow power ballads. It borrows heavily from the fashion and image of 70s glam rock.
1: Yeah, hair, hair metal, glam metal. You think of the makeup, of course the hair. Well, yeah. I, mean, I should have started with that one. You think <laughs> of the hair, the wild hair, the crazy hairdos and, and outfits and bright colors and all sorts of things, uh, songs about girls, songs about uh, machismo and uh, all of that. Partying, Uh, having a good time. Yeah, exactly. So the first uh, band that we're going to list that uh, exemplifies hair metal is kind of a no-brainer when we think of the... Actually, both of them are generally no-brainers, I I think, looking back. But this first one in particular, it's the band Scorpions who released the album Blackout in 1982. Certainly not new to me, the band, the Scorpions, but this album was. Um, Little did I know that one of my top songs, if not my favorite Scorpion song, was was released off this album. The song is called No One Like You, and I think it's one that is continually played on classic rock stations today. You know, Scorpion is generally a hair metal staple uh, but this was already their ninth release. That's they had already released nine, uh, eight prior albums to this, kind of, we'll say, easing into the, the hair metal style, if you will, as that subgenre actually formed. Um, no One Like You was a huge hit off of this album. Familiar melodic guitars with a rhythm and, and overlaying soloing, very reminiscent of a Scorpion song. A song about missing a girl on tour. I, I I think this is a very popular song, and I don't think I need to introduce it too much. Uh, I love the the fantastic solo and and dueling guitars, reminiscent of of a Scorpions'
0: hit. Nice, yeah. I had obviously I'd heard of Scorpions pretty much. If you haven't heard of Scorpions, there's probably something wrong with you. Um, but as far as the scorpions go and blackout like i had heard of blackout and i knew it because of this song no one like you this song you got like I, I there's really nothing that i can say that will add to what you've already said but just the you know the the screaming leads the dual leads just the guitar work is phenomenal the 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 vocalists coming in and just take carrying you away like this is also probably the most produced polished album Mm -hmm. on this list (laughs) um so yeah uh definitely scorpions go check that out uh there's a there's quite a few bangers on this album and speaking of bangers uh the next album that i'm going to talk about is or the next band i'm going to talk about is twisted sister and their song tear it loose most likely, everybody knows who Twisted Sister is. I knew them coming into this, but they may not necessarily know this album or this song, for that matter. Mm-hmm. "Tear It Loose" is off of their debut album, "Under the Blade," and this was almost shock rock at the at the time. Uh, you had uh, Dee Snider and JJ French and the rest of the band all dressed in drag with big hair, and lot loads of makeup. So that puts them in the glam metal category. What sets them apart from the glam metal category was the fact that they were much darker in nature, much darker uh, as far as their lyrical content, their sound, they were much heavier. Uh, and Tear It Loose was no exception. Tear It Loose is a song basically about Working, working all week, and as soon as Friday, Friday night comes around, you're gonna go out on the town and tear it loose. Which is pretty much what everybody aspires to. Uh, in you know, to go out and have a great time, whether that's at the bar, or at a concert, you, you name it, it's gonna happen. Um, like I said, nice heavy guitar riffs in here, almost growling, shouting voices, I should say, from D. Snyder, but lots of energy, lots of Lots of emotion. Yeah. I don't have anything else to
1: add beyond, beyond <laughs> that. Good song to end the work week with. And uh especially if you're gonna go out and uh look to do a little bit of partying. Right. And wanna let loose a little bit, tear it loose. Nice. Another great guitar solo here as well.
0: Oh yeah. Like I, I think that's gonna become a staple the further on we go. Is yeah. just gonna be the guitar work. Yeah. Um, Here are two choices for hair metal, uh, Scorpion's No One Like You, and Tear It Loose by Twisted Sister.
1: Our next sob genre of 1982 metal is power metal, another one that uh, generally has uh, a mix of clean and, and distorted vocals, right? Power metal is a subgenre of heavy metal combining characteristics of traditional heavy metal with speed metal, often within a symphonic context. So we have right, other other instruments, uh, synths, and, and whatnot. Um, generally, power metal is characterized by a faster, later, and more uplifting sound in contrast with the heaviness and dissonance prevalent in, for example, extreme metal. Mm-hmm. Power bands usually have anthem-like songs with fantasy-based subject matter and strong choruses, thus creating a theatrical, dramatic, and emotionally powerful sound. So I'm going to start off with another band from this year that released uh, their debut album, actually, it has become to be really a, a staple in the power metal scene, right. and that is Manowar. With their debut, again, their debut album, Battle Hymns. So the song that we chose to highlight for power metal off of this album was a song called Metal Days. It's a song about metal. Hey, nice. (laughs) So this is a a song with a heavy metal focus, but a, a grooving verse opens up into a... A really, a a crowd enticing chorus, if you will, singing of a heavy metal days, including vocalist Eric Adams' signature pipes. We have great guitar work again here for Manowar, and uh, we'll say the the anthemic style of the chorus is kind of what fits into the the power metal style, even though this doesn't necessarily have the the unique traits that power metal has grown into today. Manowar has set the stage here with their debut album
0: and uh, of of the power metal scene. (laughs) Yeah. I'm starting to see a theme here. We we've had quite a few episodes lately that have Manowar on it. So uh, it's good to see them represented here. (laughs) Um, This is metal days is probably the earliest representation of metal in a th- song that I can think of. And it, it's amazing to hear it so early in, in metaldom or metals life. And uh, just coming from Manowar, that seemed to be a theme going on later on in their career was, you know, we're all about metal. We're going to shout it out and we're going to be proud about it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and they, they started it off right off the bat and they did a great job. I, I, I love this song. So, you go from a quintessential hmm. power metal band to a lesser known power metal band or at least one that we f- feel fits in there and yeah. that would be magnum uh with the song back to earth
1: this band was new to me for yes. this,
0: this this whole
1: of course the, the band itself i don't know anything from then hadn't hadn't heard of them before
0: and, and it's interesting like i had never heard of them either and um but what i have to say is what's more power metal than dragons <laughs> the name of the album is chase the dragon you know it's got a dragon and a castle on the on the cover and when i think of power metal i think of epic virtuosic songs and you know like high-pitched vocals that are probably recorded a little too loud but in this song, uh, they're speaking of epic. There's an epic piano intro that leads into the main galloping riff, um, and where there's throughout the entire song, there's sporadic flourishes of keyboards, and you know, like this song just exudes epicness, and I, I, I love it. And it's a song about an alien who is in love with an Earth woman, and want you know feels remorse because he wants to get back to earth to be with her i'm gonna read you a couple of lyrics for it but there's one thing that brings me back to earth please tell her tell her i need her tell her i want her tell her i miss her more every day tell her i need her tell her i want her tell her i miss her more every day and i mean (laughs) i got nothing more on that Uh, magnum is such a Such a great band. Uh, Again, they're they're virtuosic in their delivery. And yeah, I think they kind of later on in their career, they went more into the rock realm than sticking with power metal. But I feel like this was an early example of the subgenre.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, some of these we maybe take a little bit <laughs> more liberty in uh, suggesting they sound like this particular subgenre, and this might have been one of them. But it does have great piano to open it with synth, right? And and you said the galloping, and I use that exact word as well. That galloping right. riff. For some reason, this song makes me feel like driving. <laughs> i don't i don't know i i, I want to add it to a driving playlist because it's just uh, dun, 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 dun. It's, it's a really good song and and the riff um i like the harmonizing chorus right the anthemic tell it i want her. Mm-hmm. and i i just found myself singing along and and uh, what other metal tracks get you to do that than power metal tracks so there you go right. we, we think magnum fits into the into the power metal subgenre So there we have it. We have two songs to represent power metal. We have Metal Days by Manowar and Back to Earth by Magnum.
0: So the next subgenre we're going to talk about is, well, heavy metal. Hey. Um, (laughs) This is probably the parent subgenre of everything, of all things metal, I should say. Um, It is a genre of rock music that developed in the late 1960s and early 1970s, largely in the United Kingdom and the United States, with roots in blues rock, psychedelic rock, and acid rock. Um, Heavy metal bands developed a thick, monumental sound characterized by distorted guitars, extended guitar solos, emphatic beats and loudness Um, that literally describes every heavy metal band ever. Um, (laughs) I
1: might add that that uh, distinguishing this from hard rock is is more of the growl vocals rather than clean vocals, if you will, but. So let me start off with the, the first band that would exemplify heavy metal. And I think looking back now, they're more part of this, what we called the new wave of British heavy metal. There were a lot of releases in that, in that particular subgenre in 1982. But this band, we are including in the heavy metal subgenre, and they are very well known. And it is Judas Priest with their album Screaming for Vengeance. This was their eighth release, and at this point, Priest followers, as I read in some of the metal fanzines, were hoping for a return to heaviness (laughs) from this album. I'm not familiar with their discography prior to this, but uh, I think this album did deliver on Mm. the heaviness. Again, super popular band, Don't really need to introduce their sound so much, but this particular track, uh, Electric Eye, kicks into a high gear from the start, really, with a false harmonic intro. The song about, we'll say, a modern surveillance state, and it's Electric Eye. We have guitarist K.K. Downing and Glenn Timpton keeping everyone on their toes with excellent rhythm and lead guitar work throughout. This is a very popular song. It's the second track on this album. It's Electric Eye by Judas Priest.
0: I would say that if you took uh, the Hellion, like they needed to take the Hellion, the intro or the uh, instrumental track right before Electric yeah. Eye yeah. and put them together as one track. Oh, that'd be awesome. Um, right. Because... uh there, it, it, it adds a little bit more to it, but since they're separated, there's really nothing we could do about it. But mm-hmm. uh, again, Judas Priest is Judas Priest, and um, when they talk about the when the fanzines and fans and critics all talked about a return to heaviness, as you put it, uh, Judas Priest, they yeah, they they kind of went back to that with like Electric Eye, Screaming for Vengeance, and stuff like that. But they also had you know a lighter side on this album as well. Mm. Uh, they had a, a couple things that you would kind of consider ballads. Mm. Um, but you know, as, as far as their older discography, Electric Eye would fit right into it. We go from probably one of the biggest heavy metal bands of all time to one of the least known bands of all time and they're called demon they came out with the album the unexpected guest in july of 1982 and this is the first time i've heard of this band uh obviously telling you that they're lesser known um but the song deliver us from evil is probably a good choice for the heavy metal subgenre and you know a lot of that has to do with their. Let's start with their lyrical content. Their lyrical content is pretty similar to Black Sabbath, in that they have occult themes and imagery, but it's more of a warning of the repercussions of toying with such things than more than practicing it. We'll talk more about practicing it later. After this album, they kind of shifted into more of a political stance on future releases, but they have quite a uh, discography themselves. The thing that draws me into Demon and uh, liking them is the singer Dave Hill. He has a phenomenal voice. His energy is perfect for the heavy metal subgenre. He doesn't go into falsettos like some of the other singers do, but uh, it's very it's very hard rock style singing and um, it's very inviting, honestly. For such an underground band, this is very clean production. And I would say, if you can kind of ignore the lyrics, you know, like anybody could listen to this band and really be really be uh, impressed by them, honestly.
1: yeah, this song has the 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 lead guitar kind of echoing the the chorus throughout it. Deliver us from evil. to me, the the song, the this lyrical content, right? Victims in this song have been put under a spell, and they're asking to deliver us from evil. But it's a rocking song, and uh, the solo and, and chorus echo to end the track. This is the 11th track on this album, so towards,
0: towards the end. So those are our two choices for the heavy metal subgenre. You have Judas Priest's Electric Eye and Deliver Us From Evil by Demon. The
1: next subgenre is the new wave of British heavy metal. And we did have quite a few releases uh, from England and the United Kingdom area. We didn't go into that, but there were, there were quite a few actually. Um, How do we want to characterize the sound of the new wave of British heavy metal? Wikipedia mentions that although encompassing diverse styles inherited from rock music, the music of the new wave of British heavy metal is best remembered for drawing on the heavy metal of the seventies and infusing it with the intensity of punk rock to produce fast and aggressive songs.
0: When you think of fast and aggressive songs, and especially in the new wave of British heavy metal subgenre, you can't think of it and not think of Motorhead. Yep. Lemmy, as we all know, is the master of the 16th notes. He is probably one of the most recognized bass players and vocalists in heavy metal history uh he's definitely one of the most iconic and this album uh iron fist came right after or right on the heels of ace of spades this album is pretty great um, but it's also the last album to feature the iconic lineup or the traditional lineup of lemmy on bass and vocals fast eddie on guitar and filthy phil taylor on drums Uh, as Fast Eddie would leave to join another band. We chose I'm the Doctor because it shows kind of more lyrical content for Lemmy as far as the song is concerned. Uh, it's, It's more creative than some of his other tracks, and it also shows more fluctuation in the music as you're listening to it, instead of just, you know, drubbing you down with uh, machine gun blasts, It actually kind of bounces a, a little bit more, has a little bit of groove, a little bit of melody to it.
1: Yeah. I think this is a great example of the fusion of punk and, and hard rock, if you will, with the tempo, the pace of this song. Uh, it's a song about, Hey, a doctor, right? <laughs> but a doctor who has a cure for your depression, your desperation, Although, uh, listening to more of the lyrics, you kind of uh, question the means that this doctor has to to help with those, <laughs> citing a hypodermic needle and, and pills, right? But uh, nonetheless, it's a, it's a great example of the fusion of punk and hard rock, and we have trading rhythm and lead guitar uh, throughout. Certainly a fine example of the new wave of British heavy metal, one of the most well-known bands – When we talk about that subgenre and now moving again to a a lesser known band from the new wave of British heavy metal, but nonetheless, uh, also a pretty influential band. When we, um, this band is called Diamond Head and they have been cited as being one of the primary influences for Metallica. Yeah. They're again, a lesser known band within this new wave of British heavy metal subgenre. And this song is, is the 10th track on their album borrowed time released in March again of 1982. Uh, I was trying to look at the lyrical content and the song is called shoot out the lights. And I don't know to, to me, it does seem to be a song about, about suicide. I don't know if you got that same feel as well, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. The they, they
0: have a lot of uh a lot of deep dark songs uh from the singer he he was really good at storytelling as far as that is concerned
1: sure yeah they mentioned kind of shooting out the lights with with alcohol and and other means mm-hmm. but uh you know it's it's another example of the of the fusion if you will of hard rock with some of the more faster paced uh um punk rock styles here
0: for the new wave of British heavy metal. And what's you mentioned earlier that Diamond Head is one of the major influences on Metallica. And uh, I've seen in a few uh, interviews where Motorhead and Diamond Head are brought up as the two biggest influences on Metallica. They like to say that they put the two heads together and created Metallica oh nice yeah <laughs> so it's a nice dichotomy that we have there uh i thought that was pretty interesting
1: yeah so there you have a new wave of british heavy metal two examples one by one by motorhead the song i'm the doctor and the other by diamond the song shoot out the lights
0: Our next subgenre that we're going to get into is progressive metal. Mm. Progressive metal is a broad fusion music genre melding heavy metal and progressive rock, combining the loud aggression and amplified guitar-driven sound of the former with the more experimental, cerebral or pseudo-classical compositions of the latter. Ooh. Um that's, that's a, a that's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, but with progressive metal, the the biggest thing that you have to remember is, prog- it's progressive. A lot of people like to think it's oh because it's uh it, it's long and uh long and technical, therefore it's progressive. Mm-hmm. Not always. Those are really accurate traits. But uh, when you're when you have progress something that's progressive, you're progressing your subgenre into. Different realms, yeah. uh, so to speak. But the two biggest ones that are the three biggest cr- uh, characteristics of progressive metal are being complex or having time changes or being long, for instance. <laughs> yeah, not sure.
1: <laughs> now, this one may seem Maybe we'll say slightly controversial to those metal heads listening to this that we're calling this band progressive metal. But I do believe, as Greg was mentioning, that pushing the boundaries of a particular subgenre, uh, especially in this instance, mm-hmm. is uh, is a good example of progressive metal. And so the band is Iron Maiden. And this was the first album with Bruce Dickinson on vocals. And the album is, of course, Number of the Beast. And what a streak it started, really, of (laughs) of wonderful, fantastic Iron Maiden albums with the vocals of Bruce Dickinson on there. Uh, The track that we're highlighting here as progressive metal is is Hallowed Be Thy Name. This is one of the many Iron Maiden-defining tracks on this album, including... Run to the Hills, and the, the album title Number of the Beast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this one has many tempo changes, if you will. And I think that was one of the first things that kind of lent itself to say, hey, maybe this this is more progressive uh, within the metal subgenre than, than people think uh, Im- immediately when they think of progressive metal. Right? We have Trading Lead Riffs by the guitarist Dave Murray and Adrian Smith. And of course, supported by expert bassist Steve Harris and the drummer at the time, Clive Burr. It's a great track about a prisoner uh, awaiting his time at the gallows pole. And any Maiden fan knows this song, right? And mm. one of my favorite versions actually is a is one from uh, a Rock and Rio DVD where the crowd just goes amazingly wild and sings. Uh, of course word for word and also part of the the guitar uh solos as well it's it uh, gives me goosebumps for for sure but uh yeah progressive metal this is the eighth track on the album hallowed be thy name one that exemplifies uh complex guitar and and tempo changes throughout
0: yeah as you mentioned with iron maiden this is probably one of their one of their if not the most well-known albums and uh i'm grateful that it came out in 1982 hallowed be thy name is a great choice for progressive uh you can actually kind of hear them being a little bit more complex than some of their other songs uh pushing those boundaries whereas on run of the hill or run to the hills and number of the beasts are kind of straightforward metal tracks again they're probably the they're the most well known ones number of the beast the album is probably my favorite iron maiden album i mean that was also my first exposure to iron maiden so oh cool like i said i'm glad we get to share uh 1982 with it yeah agreed so again you'll notice that we're going into kind of a uh um a trend here where we <laughs> start off with the more popular band and then go into a a lesser known band um, and that lesser known band this time is Uriah Heap. And the song is Sell Your Soul. When it comes to the song, as far as its lyrics are concerning, refer to selling your soul to rock and roll. Isn't that the, the way that rock and roll is meant to be, is to mm-hmm. sell your soul? Uh, <laughs> so we have that. And then we also have keyboards as a primary instrument. It's something yeah. we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, We've had synthesizers and pianos here and there, but you know, in this one, keyboards kind of drive the music along. Um, There's heavy bluesy riffs. Uh, You could almost consider these guys into the hard rock subgenre, but we believe that they're progressive, especially considering when you listen to the song, they're trading back and forth as far as time signatures go between the verse and the choruses. And there's a little spot at the end of it that, like, they have like little little glitches or, you know, like it, it, the song essentially comes to a stop. And it's it, it's quite intriguing. Check out Uriah Heep's uh, Sell Your Soul. It's on the album. It's the ninth track. So you have a little ways to get there. But this is a really good album. You look at the album cover. It's got like this demon on the front of it. Abominog. Uh, <laughs> it It's so metal. So, so brutal. Yeah, go check yeah. out Uriah Heep.
1: And I'll just add that, uh, as as we were doing our research, some other sources actually agreed with us, or we maybe we agreed with them <laughs> that they listed Uri Heap as one of the earliest prog rock or prog metal uh, bands out there. So uh, thanks to them for for helping us us uh, with this particular subgenre. I agree. We have keyboards as a main element. We have some tempo changes momentarily before the chorus. And uh, the middle of the song, uh, especially in one part before a rocking solo. And to me, I, I don't know. I got, I got a heavier Foreigner vibe from this band. Very much so. So uh, any Foreigner fans out there that want yeah. to kind of hear what Foreigner might sound in a progressive <laughs> metal style,
0: listen to Sell Your Soul by Uriah Heap. So those are our two choices for progressive metal. Iron Maiden, Hallowed Be Thy Name, and Sell Your Soul by Uriah Heep.
1: All right, getting down to our last two metal subgenres and upping up the metalness, if you will, here with Thrash Metal subgenre. It's a as Wikipedia defines it an extreme subgenre of heavy metal music characterized by its overall aggression, and often fast tempo. The songs usually use fast percussive beats and low register guitar riffs overlaid with shredding style lead guitar work. So that's thrash metal. And the first band that we thought of, uh, certainly as we were listening to this, and as we decided to say, hey, you know, who could fit into the thrash metal subgenre? Um, one was one of just about immediately obvious a band called Accept and their album Restless and Wild, released in March of 1982. This actually was new to me. Uh, that may be a surprise to some, but uh, the band was new to me. Certainly the album and listening to them. I, I agree, this, this was very much a, a thrash-style track. Opens with a polka-type song, <laughs> which is then abruptly stopped, followed by a scream, uh, essentially suggesting that, oh, I'm, I'm sick of this uh, polka-style music, let's get into something heavy. And that's what it opens into. It goes <laughs> into a fast, thrashy rhythm riff. You cannot argue that this was influential to, to later traditional thrash bands, in my opinion. You have double bass that is pounding throughout the song uh, about a fast uh, late-night killer, actually. This particular song, Fast as a Shark, is the song name. Continuing with the theme of songs that we've mentioned before, a great solo again here. Uh, watch out for the,
0: the person in the night. So I had heard of Except uh, before this uh, primarily the song Balls to the Wall. Like they were on all the uh, metal compilations that I would get or that my family would get as kids. And they'd, most everybody would skip that track just because it was, you know, it, it, a little <laughs> bit uh, you know, disrespectful. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Uh, but this song in particular was really like first off i got thrown off by the polka thing at the beginning of it and then like it's just somebody rips the needle off the record and then it goes into uh you know a blood curdling scream and into the song and like that's metal you know what i mean like that's what you expect when you hear like i don't want to hear that polka stuff I want metal and I want it now yeah um but yeah except is always a, a fun band to listen to uh, especially if you want something that's blazing and fast <laughs> again we have except as the more popular band well we have a lesser popular band uh, and they're anvil Ooh. with the song March of the Crabs now I had heard of anvil prior to this episode. Just because they have a documentary out of like that came out in like 2015 or 16, they have a a documentary uh, encompassing their lives or talking about their lives and how they never made it big. And, you know, they've always played third or fourth fiddle behind all the other thrash bands. And, you know, you kind of feel sorry for them for a while. But this song here, March of the Crabs, is as thrash as you can get uh it's an instrumental it is the fourth track on their album metal on metal and when you listen to it it just it starts off with this nice chuggy riff and the drums come in kind of marching style and it just goes from there you have a bunch of great solos in there and the tempo never lets up it never basically it builds up to uh the tempo it wants and then it just keeps going and uh you know the other thing that's cool about this is the fact that a lot of thrash bands did a bunch of instrumental work too so anvil is very influential on that scene so i kind of i kind of consider anvil to be the uh the band that thrash forgot
1: (laughs) yeah agree i i don't have much to add um it's a great fast-paced, double-bass thrash-style track, really mm-hmm. throughout. Uh well-balanced with bass, rhythm, lead plotting along. Definitely uh lift listen to this track if you haven't heard it before. Man, yeah, there are our two choices for thrash metal for 1982. We have the song Fast as a Shark by Accept followed by March of the Crabs by Anvil
0: so our last subgenre is well the extreme metal subgenre mm-hmm. extreme metal has been defined as a cluster of metal subgenres character characterized by sonic verbal and visual transgression extreme metal also pushes boundaries in a different way than your progressive your normal progressive metal would as far as extreme metal goes, it when it comes to lyrics they push it to the extreme. They start bringing in satanic themes, violence and gore and things of that nature. And also when it comes to their music, they're also pushing it faster, heavier. They want to be bigger and louder than everybody else. And uh so that's kind of extreme metal. You've heard you heard us talk about extreme metal on the black metal episode. So go ahead and uh Listen to that one again. Yeah,
1: yeah. Interestingly enough, a lot of these also have again <laughs> poor, <laughs> poor production quality. Yeah. Um. Whether that was intended or not, uh, hard to say here. And of course, in 1982, uh, where we don't have some of the technological advances in, in recording and production that we do today, but the first band that we wanted to highlight for extreme metal. We're actually starting with the lesser known band, if you will. This is a, a new band to me. I never heard this band before. The band is which finder general, and they released death penalty in October of 1982. And the band and the song that we want to highlight is burning a sinner. So automatically, Right, uh, we have the band name that speaks of dark content, Witchfinder General. Uh, I believe it was actually named after a, a movie of the mm. same title, but certainly this uh, song name suggests quite dark content as well. And this, this song is uh, about witch burning, the the early witch burnings that we learned about in in history class. Right. Uh, that's what this song is is about, uh, uh, which is basically a lot of, uh, that's the particular theme of, of Witchfinder General. Um, they were actually, in a lot of the sources, also given credit for being one of the original Doom metal bands as well. We did not specify it. Doom metal here, um, but this was one of them uh certainly listen to them and you will hear that particular trait as well um dark content really was was really the main trait of the bands that we were looking for to exemplify uh extreme metal and uh the song burning a sinner by witchfinder general is the one we chose for that
0: and when you when you talk about Witchfinder General, they kind of give that uh Black Sabbath-y vibe. They kind of have that that doomy, doom and gloom type thing like you were talking about. Yeah. Um, but if you remember I talked about I compared another band, uh Demon to Black Sabbath, but they were more in in line with the lyrical theme of Black Sabbath as far as mm-hmm. they didn't practice this. They just talked about the repercussions of it. Well, Witchfinder General was the opposite where they were more practicing or, you know, more vulgar than black Sabbath was. Um, And you learn that from burning a sinner uh, talking, uh, like you said, talking about burning a witch and uh, like, yeah, this is about, this is almost as bad as it gets. As far as lyrical content, our next band is more well-known. They are venom and the song is black metal. From the album black metal we mentioned venom a lot in the black metal episode i hate to keep hearkening back on that but <laughs> uh but when we mentioned venom they they are such an influence on thrash metal death metal black metal uh yeah all those all the extreme metal uh that you can think of venom was kind of like patient zero mm-hmm. and you know like they, they sung about Satan. They had these elaborate stage setups and things like that. And the production value was terrible. But then in 1982, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between poor production value and just it's 1982. Um, But again, Venom, you know, they, they sounded like a, a meaner, angrier motorhead. Essentially, everything was fast and dark and, you know, your lyrics were in there. I wanted to touch on, Some of the some of their lyrics, not all of their songs were satanic, but uh, black metal is one of them. That is. And um, the lyrics go black is the night metal. We fight power amps set to explode. Energy screams magic and dreams. Satan records their first note. So essentially they're saying you got this heavy metal band that's playing music uh, and Satan is listening to them and is like, oh, I like this. I'm going to write it down not as joyful and happy, but still the album also contains some more accessible tracks. If you will, if you don't count the lyrics, because, well, let's just their lyrics talk about morbid things like being buried alive and uh, you know, somebody who, yeah, let's just say that they're not exactly uh, uh, peachy lyrics, but anyway, uh, some of these other accessible songs are Countess Bathory, Don't Burn the Witch, Sacrifice, and a tongue-in-cheek song called Teacher's Pet, um, which, yeah, you have to go listen to it. It's, it's different, especially for these guys. But yeah, um, so the, the album, the song Black Metal uh, became the name for, well, Black Metal.
1: And I won't have anything more to add than that. Well said, Greg. I'll just say that uh, you'll now hear a couple songs for Extreme Metal, from 1982, a song called Burning a Sinner by Witchfinder General, and Black Metal by Venom. So there you have it, 20 songs spanning 10 subgenres that we feel had something to offer for everyone, I have all metal fans, right, from... Mm. From the extreme lyrics to the Christian metal to the fast paced thrashy metal to the catchy pop alternative metal. Really, nineteen eighty two, in our opinions, had something to offer for every metal head
0: out there. Yeah. Did we did we prove it? I I think we did. Like So we had to, when we did this, we had to look at, look at these songs in with 1982 eyes, right? Mm, Um, you know, a lot of Venom stuff isn't as shocking today as it was back then. Uh, so we have to kind of take that into account, but I, I feel that, you know, the, the spectrum of music that we have here or the spectrum of metal, I should say that we have here, uh, somebody should be able to find something that they enjoy from this list again like you said whether you're a you know um die hard metalhead or you're somebody who's eh, kind of passive about it you know and i think we have a little bit of everything for you
1: i agree and that's a really good point about looking through uh 1982 eyes if you will mm-hmm. hindsight is is 2020 we have of course plenty of different styles of metal now But that kind of helped us to pick out the subtleties of these songs, in particular the songs. Um, Not necessarily that the band is always fitting into that subgenre, but those particular songs fit into the subgenre and offered something in terms of metal for for every potential metal fan.
0: So with all that being said, uh, we hope to make this a regular series, and uh, we want you to stay tuned for the next um metal rewind episode that we do the the year is going to be eh, we're still figuring it out but what do you think what year should we do a uh, year that year that's specific to you let us know let us know in uh on instagram or sending us an email
1: yeah should we go earlier that might be a little more of a challenge as we go later than 1982 of course now we get into a wider range of of metal subgenres as they grew but uh yeah let us know if you think uh you're interested in a particular year for
0: a metal rewind episode and with that i'm greg and i'm matt and you're listening to the distortion ads Woo!